0: Hello Mamas, we are Allison, Kelsey,
1: and Melissa, and we would like to welcome you to the Unstressed Mama podcast, the podcast that will teach you how to manage the daily stress that comes from being a mom. Nothing is off limits here, from peeing your pants to balancing your budget to working out, we'll talk about it. Welcome Mamas to another episode of the Unstressed Mama podcast. Uh, As we continue on our season three episode of Nutrition and Lifestyle, we have another guest here. And today we have registered dietitian, Elizabeth Harris. Uh, She's not just a regular registered dietitian. She specifically concentrates in intuitive eating and she's extra special to me as she has been my health coach over the past almost year at the time of this recording. And I can truly say that she has changed my entire outlook on how I view my body and how I view food in this past year. And I'm so excited for you to get to meet her and hear what she has to offer. And welcome. Yay. Hello. I'm so excited to hear you say that. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, would you like to get started about how you became? a registered dietitian?
2: Sure. Um, so it's actually, depending on how you count, I always say it's either a second or third career for me. I studied something completely unrelated in undergrad and kind of worked in unrelated fields. Um, and then I took a good bit of time off to raise my children. And while I was a stay-at-home mom, I just continued or um, I have rheumatoid arthritis in my background. So I would always sort of played around with diet and lifestyle for um of helping to manage that and that kind of sparked my interest in nutrition originally kind of way back when i've i've had that for decades really but um and i just sort of became really interested in nutrition and wellness and health promotion after my children were born and um i i kind of was did a lot of self self self-study i would say and eventually just kind of thought all right I, I sort of was the person that like people who knew me would come to and ask questions just because they knew that I was really interested in it, spent a lot of time, um, learning about it. And so eventually I just decided to go back to school and get a master's degree and become a dietitian. Um, and really haven't looked back. It's been
1: awesome. I love it. Well, I'm happy that you've chosen that <laughs> path. <laughs> um, so intuitive eating is, uh, Style of like, or I guess maybe rephrase, is a lifestyle um, that is kind of newer in the field of dietetics. So, how did you branch into the intuitive eating coaching?
2: Yeah so maybe I'll just if it's okay just take a step back and explain what it is it's um it's actually not all that new it's just sort of gaining ground in recent years but intuitive eating is an approach to food um, and self-care that was created by two dietitians in in the late 1990s. So they actually just celebrated their 25th wedding, in, or not wedding, their 25th anniversary <laughs> um, from writing the book, which was in the late 1990s. And it's a self-care eating framework. So they're, it's first and foremost about healing your relationship with food. Um, and body, and then shifting to self-care. So there's 10 principles of intuitive eating. They're all about kind of helping you kind of quiet the diet noise, then tune into your body and learn, really learn how to tune into hunger and fullness and how foods make you feel. Then like shifting to self-care and health promoting behaviors, and then typically there's a lot of body image healing that goes into that. So um, that's just a little bit about what it is. I would say the way that I got into it is um, kind of, I, I had learned about it in my master's program. It always made a lot of sense to me, but it wasn't something that we spent a ton of time in my formal education learning. And when I originally started my private practice, um, kind of a couple of things were going on. My, my kids were teenagers and I was surrounded by a lot of teenagers and just kind of, um, you know, watching sort of how they were kind of thinking about food and body was certainly, um, top of mind for me. But then also as I was working with people, the first, um, At first, I was working with people who wanted or were seeking weight loss or kind of that was our goal. And what I noticed was that people could be making a lot of really, really great changes that would absolutely enhance their health and well-being. But if the number on the scale didn't move kind of as quickly or where they wanted it to, it almost was demotivating for them. Um, and they would get frustrated and think, well, why am I even bothering kind of putting in this effort? And I would be sort of on the sidelines saying, no, no, like, let's look at all the things you're doing and all the ways this can benefit your health. And so I just started to notice that one, there's just way too much focus on weight and the scale out in the world. Two, I was seeing how it impacted kind of people, you know, Younger people around me, and then three noticed the effect that it was having on my clients um, or the people that I was working with. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna go back and dig into that intuitive eating um, space in a much more concerted way. And so when I did, honestly, the research is what swayed me. There's just so much research behind intuitive eating. It's an evidence-based approach, and kind of really looking at you know the benefits that people can experience through intuitive eating, plus also kind of looking at a more weight neutral approach to health. It just made sense and it kind of all clicked. And I would say the third thing that attracted me to it is I grew up in kind of, um, you know, a big extended Italian family. My mom was a great cook, a great baker. Food was always a really kind of joyful, positive part of my life growing up. And um, so many food traditions that I cherished. And I think when you're approaching food through the lens of dieting, all of that gets lost and it gets reduced to just sort of calories um and specific nutrients, but obviously we eat foods, um, not just nutrients and not just calories. And it means so much more than kind of just those, that kind of reductive view of it. And I really wanted to incorporate that and bring that into the work that I do with people. That was a long-winded answer.
0: <laughs> Sorry. Uh, um, I have a question from mm-hmm. Back when you first started talking about intuitive eating, you mentioned that there was a book written in the mm-hmm. late nineties. Do you know what that book is called? Yeah. So it's actually just called intuitive eating.
2: Oh, okay. Um, so really easy to remember and it's on its fourth edition. So anyone out there who would like to read it, be sure to get the most recent edition, which was released in 2020. And it really does break down the 10 principles and a lot of the research and the science behind Um, intuitive eating and the philosophies behind it. And there's a
1: workbook as well. Yes. Yes.
2: And there is absolutely a workbook. If people want to kind of do um, take the work further and, and dive in and do some of your own journaling and reflecting the workbook definitely supplements the, the actual book intuitive eating.
0: I imagine there must be a lot of people that Um, like me, I would make a joke and say, well, I intuitively want to eat Frosted Flakes and peanut butter and jelly all the time. How's that going to work? But Mm -hmm. obviously it's not just eat whatever you want type of lifestyle. Correct. So I would, and yes, you're right. That is
2: one of the kind of most common questions I would say that comes up around intuitive eating, which intuitive eating really does, Um, take the philosophy that all foods can fit. And we encourage kind of eating all foods. Of course, if you have, you know, a very specific medical reason or allergy not to do so, we would that I'm not talking about that, but in general, kind of from a dieting perspective, so many foods get kind of cut out and restricted and eliminated and avoided that at least that's the messaging. And intuitive eating is about putting all foods back on the table. And a lot of times people think exactly what you just said, which is, oh my gosh, if I, if I allowed myself to have unconditional kind of access or permission to eat all of those foods, I would never stop eating them. But typically that comes from a mindset of restriction. So in other words, if you've Done, and I'm not saying you have, but in general, if a person has done a lot of different diets, or even just has a lot of ha- has a lot of those food rules in their mind from just diet culture out in the world about avoid these foods and restrict those and um, those kinds of things, it it kind of makes the food seem more exciting. And so, of course, from that lens, when you do start eating those foods, then then probably you do feel like you would eat a whole bunch more because you're spending a lot of time and energy trying to avoid them. When you welcome them all back in and really learn how to quiet that those um, eating rules and voices, this funny thing happens where the food kind of loses its power over you and um, the food is no longer kind of controlling you, but you're controlling the food kind of how you want to approach the food. And you it just kind of frees you up to really tune into how the food makes you feel and when and how you want it. So the second part of the answer to your question is, while we do encourage kind of putting all foods back on the table, the piece that a lot of people miss with intuitive eating is the eating with attunement piece. And for most people, if you were to say, eat, you know, a whole box of frosted flakes or an entire chocolate cake, that's not going to feel good in your body. So Mm -hmm. when you learn how to eat with attunement, you're probably not going to do that because it doesn't feel that way. You don't want to feel that way. Also, we start bringing in gentle nutrition, which is kind of how you want to honor your health. And maybe you don't want to honor your health by eating an entire chocolate cake, right? But having some chocolate cake and not having it be something that you spend so much time and energy trying to avoid or kind of battle against is not that helpful either. So we're trying to look at it in a more um, holistic, encompassing way of physical, mm-hmm. mental, emotional well-being. But eating with attunement is the key.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. One well, example I can add to like clarify... With that of having everything available. Excuse me. So, years ago, Halloween or Easter would show up and we're, you know, candy holidays. And afterward, I'd be gathering all the kids' things, I'd stuff it in a Ziploc and put it in the pantry. And then I'd go sneak in the pantry, right, and, and pull it out. Um, this year, it was in a bowl when I let it out in a bowl for a while. And that bowl is still sitting on my counter with a full size Snicker bar on the top of it that nobody has eaten. It has been there since. November 1st. And no one has eaten this full-size Snicker bar. And I'm like, it's February. I haven't eaten it. Snickers is my second favorite candy. I'm like, interesting. No, have I had, I've had the mini Snickers out of it. Um, but that full-size candy bar is still sitting there from Halloween. Don't ask me why we had a full-size candy bar. That's not usual around here, but I had a friend stop by that comes over frequently. And the last time she was here, she was like, that full size Snicker bar is still in your house. If it's here next time, I'm gonna eat it. I'm like, you're welcome to have it whenever you want. So <laughs> here, it's yours. And like the candy bowl, it's the same bowl. I've actually I added the Valentine's candy on top of it this year, and it's just sitting there. And I no longer feel like when I walk by it, I have to grab it. But I notice when some people walk in my house, that's what they do. They're like, Ooh, candy, and they mm-hmm. grab it. It's like you feel like you can't have it. So, Oh, but it's a special case. I'm not home. I I forget that it's there.
2: Mm -hmm. And would you ever have imagined prior to intuitive eating that that would be the case?
1: No, not at all. I mean, literally stuffed it in the pantry and then I'd sneak in the pantry and be like, okay, I'm going to just get one. And then sit back down and get up. I'd have more where when I walked by, I'd have like one little mini Snickers and then I'd be like days or weeks before I'd have another one.
2: Mm -hmm. So So Alison, the way that just one thing that I would add to that is there's, there's research behind this, right? It's not just kind of someone saying, oh, give yourself unconditional permission to eat. It's based on a concept called habituation. And what that essentially is, it happens with food things and non-food things, but our brains are kind of hardwired to find novel experiences kind of thrilling. And so even- whether you're literally not bringing, let's say, Snickers into your house, or if you're kind of hiding it away in the pantry or just spending a lot of mental energy telling yourself you shouldn't be eating it, you're keeping the food novel. You're keeping it kind of thrilling and exciting to your to your Mm -hmm. mind. And so you can think of a pendulum. Basically, you're pulling the pendulum back on the restricting end. And then when you let it go. So when you finally do let yourself eat those foods, the pendulum doesn't a pendulum doesn't just kind of like land nicely in the middle, right? It swings way out over to the other end. That -hmm. would be the kind of like overeating, binging, feeling out of control around or eating way more than you feel good about. And Um, the concept of, of habituation is kind of making the food or the the food less less novel less thrilling less exciting and allowing that pendulum to settle out in the middle that place where you know I can have Snickers or Frosted Flakes or donuts or whatever I want I can have as much as I want of them but but I can do it in a way that feels good in my body because now it's no different than choosing carrots or chicken or rice or pasta or whatever other food you, Mm -hmm. it's just another food. It's not an overly exciting other food.
0: So here's something interesting. I've been thinking while you've been talking that we keep, um, we have a big plastic popcorn bucket that Mm -hmm. we got somewhere. And it's full of candy and it's in our pantry and it's Halloween candy, Easter, Valentine's, whatever. And that's just, anytime we get candy, it goes in that bucket. And I have a nine-year-old son and he knows that he can get candy out of the bucket if he wants some. He usually does ask me, Mm -hmm. but he also knows that he can't get like 10 pieces of candy. But if he wants one every day, I don't care. It's Mm -hmm. no big deal to me as long as he also eats regular food at some point because it affects his mood. But the, what I'm getting at here is that he has, when he has other friends over and they know about that bucket, It sometimes I will go in there after someone has been here and I don't police it because Mm -hmm. I don't have to, and it will be like half wiped out. And I'll say, what the heck, where did all this candy go? And he'll say, oh so-and-so had it and then I'll find the wrappers up in his room or whatever so these right. other kids are coming over that I can only assume they must not be allowed free access to candy at home and then they eat half the bucket of candy while they're here because I'm not watching it so I've known without knowing this research kind of how that worked
2: mm-hmm. yeah that's
0: a very hard to him vivid kind
2: of real life example of it very likely those kids don't have kind of unfettered access Mm -hmm. to it and therefore it is more exciting and they're you know
1: going to want more of it when they do get around it Mm -hmm. um so that made me think mm -hmm. I don't know timelines but I remember there was a maybe last summer finding candy wrappers in my kids rooms
0: and Mm -hmm.
1: I have never, I tell my kids no, pretty much never, unless it's like, can you stay up later? The answer is no, because I'm tired. But like, I, if they want candy, I let them, they want popsicles for breakfast, I let them. Um, again, they're going to eat other food too, but you know, why have the dessert after dinner, if dinner's not ready and you're hungry right now. Um, anyway, since Halloween, I have not noticed I've not. All I said was, we don't do food upstairs, just because of it's gross, in my opinion. But <laughs> um, so that's all I've said. But now that the bucket's there, that they like, they're it's like they knew they they felt like they had to hide it without me ever telling them they couldn't have the candy. Mm-hmm. But they felt like it needed to be hidden, and I would like find candy wrappers under the bed, and I was like, now this was like a six year old, you know. So I'm like what is going on? Why are there candy wrappers here? I've never told them, no, you can't have a piece of candy. Maybe not never, but you know, not, it's not something that I could recall ever saying you can't eat candy. No, you can't have more, whichever, but now I have not found candy wrappers under beds. Yeah. So probably because as you've
2: gone through your intuitive eating journey, it can't help, but influence those around you. Right. And you have a different relationship with food and are, you know, now nurturing a different relationship with food for them. And that candy is always there so they can eat it when they want it, but they no longer have to kind of eat a whole bunch of it or sneak and hide it because it's just another food. Um, which is what we try to do, as you know, Melissa, in intuitive eating, which is kind of instead of having good or bad foods or healthy or unhealthy foods or clean, quote unquote, or junk foods, we try to just have food and get it all on the same neutral playing field. Because when it's neutral, then you get to really listen to your body and kind of what your body is telling you it wants in the moment. And I think, Kind of much like you were saying in the beginning, Allison. there's a fear that, oh, my body will only ever tell me that I want, you know, these certain types of foods and I would never eat these nutrient dense foods over here, but that's not really what happens in practice because it feels good when we eat foods that support our body and have lots of nutrients and lots of fiber and all of the things. Um, so yeah, that food neutrality, it sounds like your kids have found. yay. <laughs>
0: Now with candy, um, if we're talking about in general, mine has not found any such thing. He would happily have all meals consisting only of carbs and sugar. but um, And that's one thing I'll tell him if I notice that he's had a very sugar heavy day and then he asks for like Nutella toast, I'll say, "Uh, you've had way too much sugar. Let's pick something savory and then give him some options of that. And I'm always struggling to not make it a, to not make it a struggle, struggling Uh to not make it a struggle because I won't win that he's too strong-willed. I mean, I could, I suppose I could force him to eat things, but I never have. And I won't because when I was younger, I was not forced to eat things. And I had a very small variety of what I would eat. And when I became an adult, now I'll eat almost anything. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that was because I wasn't forced when I was a kid to eat things. And I wasn't forced to clean my plate or any of that stuff. Um, I had a point there and I think I got lost on the way to it, but (laughs) I think that maybe my point is it's really stressful for me feeding my child because I know that he's not eating a balanced diet in any way, shape or form. And I try not to let him feel or know about that stress very often. And I um, just try to make sure that there are foods here that are better choices for him than just constantly eating chips and popcorn or whatever it is that he wants. Mm -hmm. And I always wonder when will that kick in for him that he'll understand, gosh, if I eat a donut. And Doritos and this, then I'm grouchy and I don't sleep as well as I should if instead I had eaten a ham sandwich or some salami or something like that. Mm -hmm. What, What age do you, or is there even an answer to that question? When do you get to the point where you can start to recognize in yourself
2: Yeah. I mean, I can't give you a specific answer as to a specific age, but what I would say are a couple of thoughts. So there can be a lot of pressure around kind of feeding children. And um, one thing that we kind of know in the research is we, um, children's intake regulates over the course of days and weeks. So not specific meals. So I think as parents, we can get really focused on lunch or breakfast or dinner and what were they eating and was it kind of quote-unquote perfectly balanced and did it have this blend of you know all these different foods but really kids intake um, regulates over days and weeks so I share that because it can take a little bit of the pressure off of any individual meal and it may seem like when you watch kids eat, what tends to happen. Now, if you have a very picky eater, you know, you might notice something a little bit different, but I have a thought to share on that in a moment. Um, you know, maybe one day it feels like they're eating nothing but strawberries and then they don't want to eat that again for two weeks. And the next day they're totally focused on some different food and, um, <laughs> and Melissa's shaking her head. So I can see you relate to this. So, so the it you know they actually kind of they are listening to their bodies, but it just looks different than how we expect that it quote unquote should look. And I think if you zoom out a little bit and watch what they eat over the course of weeks, you probably would see oh they are eating a good bit of protein and they are getting you know fruits and vegetables and and they are getting the kind of grains or things that I'm serving them. So that's just one thought. The other one is there's um, this. Concept in feeding children that was developed by another dietitian, Ellen Satter, and her work is wonderful. It's called the Division of Feeding Responsibility, and basically, kind of the way it's about kind of you know feeding your children, making sure they're getting plenty of nourishment, but also helping them have a happy, healthy relationship with food. Um, and it's parents get to decide what and when and children decide whether and how much. And so what that means is, as the parent kind of you decide which foods you're serving at at any meal. And I would encourage you to make sure there's a a variety of foods, right? Like, yeah, you, you always want there to be at least something that you know, your child is going to eat ideally two things. And one of them can be milk in this theory, because that is protein and calcium nutrients. Um, But but you're deciding which foods are coming out. And then you're allowing your child to decide, are they hungry? And how much of any particular food do they want to eat? And it takes some of the pressure off because ultimately you mentioned that you don't force him to eat any foods, which is great. But the reality is, nor could you, like, we can't force our children to eat any more than I could force you to eat a specific food. So when you try to do so, you're setting up a battle that you're probably not going to win anyway. Also, it would be damaging most likely to your child's relationship with food in their body to be forced to eat specific foods. So, um, and will that, you know, will his preferences change as he gets older? Yes, probably Um, they will, but hopefully also in the meantime, approaching it that way is kind of one, just helping you recognize sort of where, what part you get to influence and which part you really don't get to influence. You're also teaching your child to listen to their hunger cues and their fullness cues, and you're playing the long game. So instead of making food stressful or a battle or um, something that they kind of have negative associations around, you're playing the long game of them having a healthy, happy relationship with food kind of for the rest of their life.
0: I really like that. Uh, So it was I get to decide when and what, and he gets to decide whether and how much. And mm-hmm. just like another
2: that. little quick kind of food neutrality tip as you, um, I hope you won't mind me saying this, but the language you used in the, a minute ago was, well, you've already had too much sugar today. So let's choose something else. I, a more neutral phrasing could just be, that's not on the menu right now. Mm-hmm. And that way it, it just keeps it neutral, right? Of, of. Mm-hmm that's not on the menu right now, but here's what is, if you'd like any of it, kind of let me know. Okay, I'm writing
1: that down. <laughs> One of the thoughts here with kids, and well, that wasn't the intention. We did actually want to do an episode about feeding kids because of uh, clearly there's struggles there. Yeah. Uh, this thought um, with my daughter, she's so picky and She came up a few days ago, a few weeks ago, and was like, When I turn seven, I'm going to eat broccoli. (laughs) And I was like, You know, you said that they're getting a variety of fruits and vegetables. She eats strawberries, and uh, that's her fruit and vegetable that she eats. Mm -hmm. Um, But when she's seven, she's going to eat broccoli. broccoli. And I was like, Oh, might there be another food you want to have when you're seven? And she goes, Hmm, pineapple. Okay. Any chance you'd like to try that before you're seven? No. All right. And then, so that happened. And while the other, we struggle with vegetables and fruit for her and protein, like she goes through that phase you mentioned, although she does eat strawberries and thankfully at this point, knock on wood has not given those up
2: Mm -hmm.
1: having like one main meal that she'll eat. And she was on this grilled cheese phase for a while. Um, and then we found and she, then she was off grilled cheese, like couldn't mm-hmm. make her grilled cheese. And we're back on the grilled cheese phase. So it's like, oh, I wonder how long this will last. But yeah. and we were at the store and she sometimes will eat like a cliff Z bar, like the kids Z bars and they make protein ones. It's not that much more protein, but it's more than a regular one. And I asked her like, Hey, look, there's these flavors. Would you be willing to try one? She tried it. She ate it. And, and her lunch yesterday, either she threw it away or she ate it. The whole thing i don't usually she doesn't throw things away so I, she's eating this protein bar that i took her to the store with me and like let her pick her flavor and let her decide i'm willing to try that and then i'm not on the back end frustrated about like buying this thing that i'm hoping she'll try mm-hmm. she agreed to try it when i purchased it um so i feel like it's like baby baby step progress Yeah,
2: definitely baby step progress and also, you know, like incorporating kids in the going to the store and picking out the foods and having them included and maybe preparing the meals or if you have a garden, kind of growing them or picking them or the more you can get them involved, the better that they're going to be more likely to try new foods. But also, I, I forget the exact number, but the research shows like a child needs somewhere between like, I think it's. I forget, 10 and 18 exposures to a certain food before they'll even be willing to try it. So even if it seems like they're not eating those foods, if you just keep putting them on the table, remember as like you decide what goes on the table, if you just keep putting it out there and not talking about it, they may one day decide to try it. And that's the goal, right?
1: Yeah, so baby baby steps over, over <laughs> in my daughter's realm. Um,
0: did you have something else to add to that, Allison? I have a funny story about including your kids and making food if we have time for a funny story. I like that. Um, so my son is out usually pretty willing to indulge my adventures so we were watching Noodle and Doodle once when he was like three and they made these little fish sticks and there was like a box of pirates treasure and whatever a whole craft meal thing so he said he wanted to try it and I was really excited. So, like seven hours later, after we went to the grocery store, I bought cod, made these things from scratch, made the box, all the stuff. I get the fish sticks out, and um, he was really excited to try them. And he took a bite and like gagged and threw it up, and I laughed so hard. And <laughs> he's like, he was really upset. I I shouldn't have laughed, but it was just like. <laughs> you get, I literally spent all day and like $40 on groceries doing this. And he was really upset um, that he didn't like it. And he preferred the frozen fish sticks instead that we already had. Um, But just, um, I don't know. I always tried that too, getting him involved with me and it has worked before, but every time I hear that, I remember that story and me, like, blending up cod and adding chicken stock to it and rolling it in the breading and that sounds like a lot of work yes it was a ton (laughs) of work and then to end with him like (laughs) yeah not happening but you know what it had green onions in it and I should have known better Um, that was the culprit it was too strong because otherwise he does like cod
2: yeah that makes sense those are pungent it,
0: it was a hard lesson for me but I did eat them myself. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: One other concept that when we talked about the food neutrality Mm -hmm. and it kind of, it'll relate to kids, but also relate to our Mm -hmm. relationships with other people who are trying to be healthy. Mm -hmm. So my five-year-old comes home from school and is like, mom, is that a healthy food? Mm -hmm. And I I think Elizabeth, I brought this up in our last coaching call, but just kind of like that a reminder since we brought up the kid aspect mm-hmm. of it is like schools may now be teaching healthy foods with mm-hmm. the word healthy, which then puts it as an either, or if it's health, if, if it doesn't fit into the healthy category, therefore it's not healthy. Mm-hmm. And so I try to use the terminology I've learned from you of like, well, it's just food. It's something else we can eat. Um, and he'll, bu- he'll bug me, but mom, is it a healthy food? Well, I mean, if it doesn't have the most nutrients in it, but there's some carbohydrates in this, whatever it is, but he'll like want an answer and want me to answer that black, white, yes, no, Mm -hmm. healthy, not healthy. And, you know, that goes with the diet culture.
2: Yeah. Right. It's very, it's yeah. kind of um, a very black and white way of thinking about it, which is what tends to happen when we're approaching food from that dieting perspective is it's kind of all or nothing, right? Or we're, we're under the impression that there's this perfect diet out there that we're supposed to be kind of working towards. And the reality is there's no such thing as a perfect body. I mean, sorry, a perfect diet um, there. It like literally the definition doesn't exist of a perfect diet or way of eating, all foods can be healthy and part of a health promoting diet. Some foods have more nutrient density. Yes. But, but there's absolutely room in a health promoting diet to include all foods. And I think I touched on it a a minute ago, but, um, diet culture puts so much pressure on individual foods of kind of eat this, don't eat that. This is good. That's bad, whatever. And it can become stressful. Frustrating, overwhelming, anxiety provoking, right? And we can get to this place where we're spending so much kind of mental energy and anguish trying to get exactly the right perfect combination of foods that it's causing daily stress. And we know that stress from any source takes a toll. On people's health and well being. It adds to something called your allostatic load. And so, by minimizing kind of the stress around food, by accepting that there's no perfect way of eating, that all foods can fit in a healthy diet, we're kind of taking the temperature down on kind of uh, eating and the stress that can be involved. And that in itself is health promoting. So, it's zooming out to look at health in a not just the pure nutrients, because again, remember, we don't just eat nutrients, we eat foods, um, but zooming out. So, physical, mental, emotional well being becomes part of the picture. So, when you look at it that way, it really truly is that all foods can be healthy, right? And, and I'll just give you a quick example. If you are, um, I don't know, going out to um, some special dinner with friends, and you're going to go, you know, someone's making food that they only make once or twice a year. And there's foods that are, quote unquote, not the most nutrient dense foods there. Um, and you are now suddenly feel a lot of stress, a lot of overwhelm. That's not on my diet. How am I, you know, you're calculating in your head. How am I going to avoid that? What am I going to eat instead? You're now, is that a helpful way to approach that outing instead of having that um, kind of a positive healthful outing where you're actually connecting with the people you're with, you're in your head spending a lot of time and energy trying to avoid certain foods or um, control kind of an, an outcome with your eating that you may not be able to control. So it's like looking at it in a much more global holistic way than just calories and nutrients. And so my answer to your, to your son's question is all foods are part of a healthy diet.
1: Yeah, and that's pretty much where I was trying to go, but he wanted a yes or no. And then I think I was like, well, then finally he was like, but my teacher says, and I'm like, well, I don't want to go completely against your teacher because I know your teacher is teaching this with like a good intention behind it. But I'm like, it's undoing everything I've been working on it for the past year.
2: So, yeah, so that's where that just like in our family, we know that all foods can be part of a healthy diet is just like a really helpful phrase. You're not taking away when anyone else said you're just imparting your own values and beliefs around food, just like you do with anything, right? Not food related.
0: Um, I want to turn that then to, I'm the one that brought kids into it, but I'll switch it back to moms <laughs> and how would a mom who is stressed out about what she's feeding herself and worrying the same thing. Is this a healthy food? Is this not a healthy food? what would be the first steps that you would recommend to somebody like that to get started on an intuitive eating path? Yeah, so I mean, the first
2: step really would be to to remind yourself that all foods really can be part of a health promoting diet. There is no perfect diet. And if if it's causing you so much stress to try to eat in a certain rigid box, recognizing that that actually is detracting from your health in and of itself. So just kind of getting that idea of food equals food, all foods fit, food has no moral value. So like food isn't good or bad and we aren't good or bad for eating certain foods. Food is just food and it all has a place in our lives. And then um, really letting go of the rules. So I'm guessing if someone is feeling a lot of that stress and, and anxiety about kind of their food choices, they're probably trying to follow a lot of rules, quote unquote, about it. In other words, trying to stay in certain calorie ranges or certain points or macros or trying to follow a very specific rigid meal plan or, um, you know, really have strong kind of these foods are okay to eat and these foods are not okay to eat all of those or certain like this time of day is okay to eat, but this time of day it isn't, or I should be avoiding these certain food groups. Let's say carbs is a big one that everyone loves to hate on, even though really our bodies need carbs. Um, so kind of looking doing the work of kind of recognizing what are my quote-unquote rules around food, what are the ones that I'm trying to follow, and then doing the kind of work of trying to get to 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 eliminate and and get rid of those food rules. So it's a lot of mindset shifting. Um, And then the third piece would be now that all foods fit, we really want you to tune into your body. So tuning into well am I hungry and am I full and how do certain foods make me feel? How do I want to feel kind of, uh, I think of it as sort of like walking backwards, right? Deciding how you want to feel at the end of a meal and then making choices that are going to align with that. So there's, you know, I mean, there's many aspects to it, but those are a few good places to start.
1: I would say, for our listeners having gone through like the you know intensive coaching with Elizabeth and then carrying on with like routine uh, like monthly calls and stuff, those first three steps and we might have given a fourth, you know, and you don't have to do like one and then the other. You can kind of work on them all at once or you can pick mm-hmm. one and then go, um, are are definitely worthwhile to start with to mm-hmm that the, the no rules thing when I, I'm pretty sure when I had my first call with Elizabeth before I actually joined her, uh, was that, was that the thrive tribe? I was getting the the thrive tribe. Um, I was like, well, I mean, I'm gluten-free and dairy-free, but I, I eat it all the time. (laughs) Like (laughs) I was in my mind. That's like what I was like. I I don't eat gluten. I don't need dairy. But by that point we'd been like through the pandemic in about a year. And I was still gluten-free and dairy in my mind, but I totally was not free of either of those in any way, shape or form.
2: Mm-hmm. And she
1: made me realize once I took that rule away, nothing actually had to change other than that rule was gone. And I didn't feel bad about eating a bun or the cheese, but then I found there's times that I don't actually like the cheese anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. And I think it brings up
2: an important point. Obviously, if someone has celiac disease, you should avoid gluten. There are certainly circumstances where you, you know, an individual shouldn't eat certain foods, but if you don't have celiac disease or, you know, a a gluten sensitivity, which there's, you know, kind of back and forth about that. um, Then if you're trying to avoid it, you're probably missing out on nutrients, right? Because, um, Same with dairy. If you're, if you're avoiding dairy and you don't have a lactose allergy or another kind of very specific reason, not, not to be eating it. Well, dairy is a good source of calcium and vitamin D and sort of other, other nutrients that we need. So you can see really quickly when we start getting the messaging from diet culture about, well, avoid these foods, don't eat carbs, don't eat potatoes, right? Don't eat dairy, don't eat this, don't eat that, whatever, insert the foods. Well, you're, you're, your diet is getting narrower and narrower and narrower and smaller and every time you cut out foods and food groups foods and food groups you're cutting out you're cutting out nutrients and most likely your body needs those nutrients so as a dietitian i'm trained to make people's diets as inclusive as possible um, and i always talk about adding diet culture is always talking about what you should cut out or you know limit or avoid I prefer to look at it. Okay, what are the nutrient dense foods that you want to add into your diet? So eat the foods you love. I'm sure some of those are also very nutrient dense foods, right? Some of them may be less nutrient dense foods, but eat what you like. But then let's also figure out okay, what what health concerns may you have or what gentle, you know, what nutrition ideals would you like to or you know, how do you want to honor your body with gentle nutrition? And let's talk about foods you can add in that will, you know, promote heart health or gut health or, you know, be health promoting, but from a perspective of addition, not subtraction. And so often people, I can't tell you how many times people come to me and think that they need to be avoiding all these certain foods because they've gotten all this messaging from diet culture that makes them feel like they quote unquote should not be eating them. And when we go through our work together, it turns out their body's not sensitive to those foods at all. And they can eat them just, just fine. And, and in that way, we're making we're expanding people's diets, which is the goal, frankly.
1: I would agree. I was one of those people. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I see it so often that and under-eating, I would say, are is another thing that's really, really common. So, so often I meet with people for the first time and they're just way, way under eating for what, you know, what their body needs and they're, and that's coming from sometimes people are just busy, forget to eat, but usually it's because they're trying to follow some very rigid, very small, um, Caloric limit that diet culture has, or restriction that diet culture has, sort of put out there as the "quote unquote" ideal way to eat, and um, and there's consequences to that. When we are chronically under eating, there's that in and of itself can lead to digestive discomfort and gas and bloating and low energy and not sleeping as well and kind of all the other things. I always think of you. I remember when you that started introducing some of those foods back in and talked about how much better your runs were,
1: right? Yeah, because, a whole
2: <laughs> yeah, like eating a whole banana or having some carbs because that's your body's primary source of fuel. So asking your body to go kind of do a long run without enough carbs in your system, it's not gonna be that great of a run. It's
1: gonna be hard. Your body needs it to fuel your activity. I saw it was on Instagram yesterday, yesterday, the day before it was about the calorie intake. And I can't remember who posted it. I wish I could. And I, it was about kids, but it was like a four year old or a six year old needs 1400 calories a day. Like mm-hmm. think about that. Like, you know, when we talk about some, there's some diets that have diets out there that make you want like 1200 calories. That's less than a four year old who is yeah. at least like a quarter of your weight, depending on how, you know, less than that if you're bigger, but, uh, you know, like somebody who's, you know, a fraction of you eats 1400 calories. And I know it's not linear. It's not 100% linear there, but just thinking about that, it was like, think about that. And I was like, Whoa. Yeah. I I mean,
2: the calories recommended by most diets are way less than most people need. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And there's consequences to that. Well, that was one thing when I went through my the program I went through last year is that I ended up, I eat a lot more than I used to eat Mm -hmm. a lot more. And it was hard. Like I had to do it in stages because at first the amount of food that they thought that I should be eating, I literally could not eat that much. No way. Mm -hmm. And it was very, very strange for me to eat more and be losing inches. Mm -hmm. just totally bizarre because that is nothing what you're taught your whole life about trying to lose weight that's not how it works you don't eat more
2: (laughs) right yeah it's the opposite of the messaging so in intuitive eating Mm -hmm. we don't focus on weight loss specifically it's not the that's not the focus of intuitive eating but Mm -hmm. the reality is our bodies um our bodies have go into kind of starvation mode, right? Your body doesn't know, are you cutting out these calories on purpose or is this actually a famine? And the point is we've evolved with really good kind of biological defense mechanisms to defend against that, that your body's trying to, protect you into kind of not becoming malnourished, not losing too much weight. And so all these things kick in to defend against weight loss when someone is under eating. So I would say there's kind of all sorts of negative consequences of dieting, both kind of physically and psychologically, but also it's it doesn't have most of the time the, the desired effect um, because kind of research shows us that dieting itself is the single biggest predictor of weight gain over time. And why is that? Because your body defends against weight loss and metabolism slows down and kind of um, hormone levels get shifted, hunger, satiety hormones get kind of um, readjusted. And then when a person starts eating again, your body kind of overshoots the mark in trying to protect you. So kind of weight set range, which um, we all have kind of an ideal range where, um, our bodies are happiest and healthiest. It's different for every individual, but over time, particularly with repeated um, chronic attempts at dieting, you can uh, um, weight set range will actually get increased. Um, So that's just one, we didn't really talk about that part of intuitive eating much at all, but that is one of the reasons why intuitive eating is very much anti-diet because one, dieting causes kind of harm, but two, Too, it also is shown in the research to have the opposite of the desired effect. And it encourages dieting encourages kind of all or nothing behaviors that, okay, I'm gonna, you know, eat this very strict, rigid calorie amount. I'm gonna cut out all these foods, I'm gonna go to the gym and exercise an hour every single day. And you're kind of jumping all in on the latest kind of diet until it becomes unsustainable until your body starts defending against that until you start missing um, and feeling deprived from the foods you're cutting out. And then you're over here on the nothing end of the spectrum, right? Intuitive eating is about finding the middle, the happy, healthy middle ground where you are, you know, enjoying all the foods kind of, moving your body regularly. You're adding lots of nutrient dense foods. You're taking care of all these, um, or implementing all these healthful behaviors, but in a, in a genuine sustainable way, not that it's January and I'm implementing my new year's resolutions. And by the third week of January, I'll have fallen off the path
0: kind of way. Yeah. I love this because it's just I hardly ever watch regular TV anymore, but every time I do there's diet commercial after diet commercial. And like Melissa mentioned the school, we, I've been getting home worksheets where they're building their perfect plate and all this and that. And it's kind of funny because my son can build the perfect plate, but he's not eating that. Mm -hmm. So what good does that, you know, it's kind of silly in any way, some of the stuff that they consider perfect, I think. Mm, Okay. Um, So I love that we're getting this message out there that spending all this money on this, this fad and doing this fad and this fad is not the way to go. And there's a better way
2: that Mm -hmm. is less
0: stressful and more uh, sustainable and will make you happier in the end.
2: Yeah. Happier and healthier. And just kind of maybe one thing to add on that point is we're actually all born intuitive eaters. And if you think about a baby, a baby cries when it's hungry, you feed it, it turns away when it's full. It's very, very difficult to overfeed a baby. They simply won't take anymore when they're no longer hungry. Then the baby gets a little bit older, we start feeding them solid foods. It's very evident which ones they like, which ones they don't like. They still let us know when they want more, when they don't want any more. They're listening to their bodies. They're choosing foods that they like and enjoy. And they don't have any preconceived notions about calories or good or bad foods or how they're quote unquote supposed to eat. They're just people eating food in a way that feels good. And then we start, unfortunately, getting messages in childhood, kind of like exactly what you're talking about. They typically come from a well-meaning place, but they have the unintended consequence of You know, if, if a child is taught to clean their plate or certain foods are healthy and others are unhealthy, or you have to eat X bites of food before you can get up, or you have to eat, you know, a certain amount of vegetable, let's say before you can have dessert, all of that is doing two things. It's putting food on a hierarchy. So that some foods are more appealing and other foods are less appealing. And it's also inadvertently teaching the child not to listen to their body, right? Cleaning your plate doesn't have anything to do with whether you're actually full or hungry or not. And then we get a little bit older and all the diet culture messages start seeping in exactly what you're talking about. That bombardment of weight loss advertisements and before and after images and this, quote unquote superfood, which by the way, isn't actually even a thing in, in, in nutrition science and, you know, the fad diets and the supplements and the detoxes and the cleanses, the cleanses and sort of all the messaging about, um, food and all of it is taking you further and further away from that innate ability of just eating foods in a way that feels good in a way that's enjoyable. So, um, so yeah, so we're all born intuitive eaters. We can all get back there
1: too is the good
2: news if 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 we've gotten off track.
1: So I agree that this has been great. And um, we were going to ask a question at the end. What would be your main takeaways? But I feel like this whole episode has been main takeaways. Um, and you really just summarized it, you know, at the end of that couple words that I took out the finding neutrality, uh, with food and sustainable lifestyle. And you just said something. And now it has escaped about what made me think of like living our life now. Right. We always, we grew up with this like diet culture. that told us, Oh, well, when you get to this point and I won't lie, I've got to that point before, and I didn't feel any better about myself than I do right now with like Tens of pounds more than I did before. And if I am completely honest, I probably, I think I probably feel better about myself now in a much heavier state than I was when I was at my thinnest after having my first child. Like, you know, in that time, I was the smallest I'd ever been in my adult life, but I, it still wasn't enough for me. And I'm now at a point where I'm becoming okay with what I am today. And mm-hmm don't think about who that person, what that person looked like. It's it's a work in progress. Don't anyone think that it's like, snap your fingers and it's gone, but I'm working on that. And I feel much better about who I am today in my body, what I eat, who I'm eating in front of. Um, and I would also say with like how I'm raising my kids. Like, I feel a lot better about that. Where two years ago, I remember thinking with my picky eaters, I'll worried that they're gonna have these issues later. And I still am concerned about children and eating because of our culture, but I know at least at home, I can provide them with the right guidance with Elizabeth's help. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I think I hear that so often There's So because intuitive eating isn't about weight and because we actually are shifting the focus away from weight with intuitive eating can be a lot of fear around that. Um, But the reality is, uh, you know, we never know what's going to happen with someone's weight when they eat intuitively, when you're listening to your body and kind of moving regularly and um, offering yourself lots of nutrient dense foods and kind of taking care of stress and sleeping well and all those things that probably is going to land you in your your body's kind of ideal weight range um but <laughs> so i lost my train of thought but there's so many other things that you can gain with intuitive eating you gain peace with food peace with your body you get the freedom to enjoy food again usually People might say that their relationships are stronger. They feel better about how they're maybe feeding their children. Like lab markers can improve more variety of foods eaten. Like there's just this whole world that opens up um, that really goes so far beyond the food on your plate with intuitive eating. So that was like an awesome way to end it.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, Before we sign off, where could our listeners find you so they can follow you and learn more about all the great things you share with the yeah, world thank
2: you so I have a community on Facebook which you know Melissa health and healing with intuitive eating everyone is welcome to come and join that learn more about um, intuitive eating we share lots of you know just food ideas and tips and tricks and intuitive eating principles um so that's probably the best place to start is on Facebook um Health and Healing with Intuitive Eating. I'm on Instagram at Elizabeth underscore Harris underscore RD. And I do have a free five day course, How to Break Up with Dieting for Good, that really goes so much more in depth into the science behind kind of why dieting doesn't work and the biology and the psychology behind it and how you can start implementing intuitive eating. So I would love to offer that to any of your listeners.
1: I'll make sure you have the link. Yeah, we'll make sure all of those links are in the show notes.
2: Thank you. This was so fun. Thank you so much for having me, both of you.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming. Thank you. Well, as I said at the beginning, you have literally changed my life, my outlook, and I said at the end too, right, I am feel much better about where I am today in a much different size than I was five years ago. So one, I thank you again, because I thank you all the time, but thank you uh, for taking your time out of your day today to speak to our listeners and you know, I would call it a huge success if at least one more person is like, oh, I want to jump on that train because I feel like our whole world would be better if we all thought this way. And then that whole diet culture wouldn't even be one of those outside pressures on us anymore.
2: Yep. I totally agree. So thank you for inviting me and allowing me to share the intuitive eating and positive food message. I'm so grateful. And you know, I love working with you.
1: The Unstressed Mama podcast is brought to you by Allison Rodden, Kelsey Decker, and Melissa Sroby. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash unstressed mama and on Instagram at unstressed mama. If you like what you heard, be sure to tell your friends so other mamas can join in the fun. You can find our individual contact information in the show notes for this episode.
0: If you have questions about this topic or suggestions for future topics, the best place to reach us is through our Facebook, Instagram page, or email at unstressmama at gmail.com.